tonight and turn again to John chapter 18 as we move along in our study of the gospel according to John. And again, as I said this morning, these are uh, a place in uh, the gospels where we're dealing with uh, uh, just the days before Christ's death, and we often hear messages concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ at a certain time of the year. But uh, these are timeless uh, truths that we find here in John chapter 18. Uh, I was reminded, uh, you know, when thinking about uh, subject matter kind of out of time, uh, uh, so to speak, um, we were having a request, uh, request night at our church when I was a boy. You know, we have, uh, like we do here on the fifth Sunday, you request your favorite song. And so I, I looked back in the index for a song and I said, number such and such, I don't remember the number, but, um, and uh, it was the song, There's a Song in the Air. Well, this is the middle of July. And so the uh, d- one who was leading the singing was very gracious, said, okay, we'll sing that just for you, Daryl. <laughs> um, uh, even though it was the middle of joy- in July, they were willing to sing a Christmas song. Uh, there, I don't know if you are familiar with that one. I don't know if that one's in our book. There's a song in the air, uh, and uh, but it's a. It didn't look like a Christmas song to me. I just thought well, there's a song in the air. That's kind of a neat song, you know. Must be a good song. Uh, but uh, here we have uh, just uh, some some of the events that take place uh, just before Christ's crucifixion, and so we're looking at uh, the hour is come. We looked at betrayal this morning, the betrayal, and tonight we want to look at the denial, the denial. And look with me at chapter 18, beginning in verse 12. <clears throat> Remember, um, verse 11, or 10 and 11, Peter had uh, taken his sword, cut off the servant's uh, ear, and uh, so we come to verse 12. And it says, the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out with that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now let's move on down to verse 25. And look at verse 25 through 27. It says, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, Therefore unto him, Art thou, or not thou also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? 
Peter then denied again, immediately the cock crew. Well, uh, Peter was ready to face anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or so he thought. Uh, You know, with determination, with um, plenty of grit, he followed behind Jesus Christ after his arrest in the garden. And perhaps he thought, well, he had endured the worst of his trials with Christ in the garden. He had impulsively drawn his sword. He had sliced uh, through the air until his mark uh, lopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. And none of the other disciples had acted so courageously. So Peter was kind of there alone. And um, he kind of thought, you know, this was a tremendous thing I did. And he so he made his way to the courtyard of Caiaphas and the high priest. And in the dimness of the night, Peter's heart had been so courageous and it was laid bare by the words of the slave girl. And he did what he, he did what he said he would never do. He would, would never deny Jesus Christ and he did it. So in the denial, we learn that lurking in the shadows of pro- probably every soul, there's a capacity of denying Christ. Uh, you say, oh, no, I'd never do it. Well, careful, that's what Peter said, didn't he? So we need to guard our heart. For we would hear Peter say to us, guard your heart. Because you may think you'd never deny Christ, but... Uh, It is there as a possibility. So we give attention to the deceitfulness of our hearts if we stand for him each day. What does the text teach us about ourselves tonight? That's what I want us to really look at. We say, we know, I know this story. I know how, uh, you know, Peter denied and the, uh, uh, the cock would crow and, and, uh, and, about the time he made that denial uh, for the last time, but notice some considerations and some insights to this denial. First of all, there's a warning. There's a warning. Now, to understand the full picture of our text, we must make use of other related passages of the Gospels. Uh, And uh, John doesn't give us all the details of this here, but uh, we're going to point first to the warning that Jesus gave Peter before the denial ever took place. Uh, No one would deny that Peter acted with extreme courage in drawing his sword against the Roman soldiers. You know, I'm going to defend you, Christ, even to the point of drawing my sword. And so the temple police who came that night to arrest the Lord in the garden kind of met probably with a surprise and some resistance by Peter. It's kind of reminiscent of the soldiers diving on top of grenades to save their fellow soldiers, or maybe a single soldier rushing a machine gun nest to protect the others. It was courageous, but it was unnecessary. Because we find Jesus telling Peter to put the sword into the sheath. Why did our Lord refuse Peter's defense? Well, because his hour had come. And that's what we're looking at. The hour had come and he was ready, as we said this morning, to drink the cup which the Father had placed in his hands, the cup of divine wrath on on behalf of sinners. Now you go back to John chapter 13, is uh, after the first celebration of the Lord's Supper, Peter asked the Lord a question in response to his statement. 
Whither I go, you cannot come. Jesus had said, Whither I go, you cannot come. And so Peter asked, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter was really upset over that reply. Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Peter was quite sure of himself in his boldness. And then Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. That's kind of the prediction, the uh, advance warning, if you please, of what's going to take place here with Peter and his denial. And so with that background, I think we can see three vital insights, even concerning ourselves, in light of the warning that Jesus made to Peter. Notice, first of all, we need to beware of thinking lightly of the word of the Lord. Beware of thinking lightly of the word of the Lord. You see, Christ had spoken very clearly, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And of course, he was referring to the immediacy of his passion and in which he would climb the hill of Golgotha to bear our sins on the cross and our Lord would be buried in a borrowed tomb and then rise on from the dead to ascend to the Father. And in so doing, he would be going ahead to prepare a place for those he had redeemed. And Jesus Christ would be walking in the steps prepared for him before the foundation of the world. And all that he did was necessary for our eternal good. But Peter thought he knew better. And how many times do we think we know better? He dared to argue with Jesus when the Lord had spoken very clearly. That was nothing new for Peter. He had previously argued with the word of the Lord, thinking that his own judgment was clearer than that of Jesus Christ. And that occasion when Peter had joined James and John with Jesus on the mountain where the Lord was gloriously transfigured in the resplendence of his divine glory, he treated the word of the Lord lightly. Christ told the disciples of his impending death and resurrection, and Matthew tells us, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. I'd say Peter was rather impulsive, wouldn't you? What foolishness. For a mere mortal to cast aside the word of the Lord. And the reply of Jesus is startling, for it shows the devilish foundation for such a casual statement and a a casual treatment of the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And I think uh, we're a lot like Peter sometimes, aren't we? We read the Word of God. We hear the Word of God, but we lay it aside 
Because that doesn't apply to me, that applies to someone else. I can think of someone else that that would, that would surely need to read that, or they need to hear that. And when His Word turns everything in our lives upside down and exposes the error of our thinking in relationship to Him, yet we turn aside to follow our own opinions, we're walking the same errant steps of Peter. God's Word confronts us. Yet we use creative, what we could call creative hermeneutics. In other words, we're interpreting the Bible the way we want to. That's what hermeneutics is. It's interpretation. Okay, We're using creative hermeneutics to take the heat off of us. And we give it another meaning. We say, well, it doesn't mean that for me. I think it means this, and it applies to so-and-so. And so we... Treat the word of God flippantly. We need to beware of thinking lightly of the word of the Lord. Notice here, secondly, we need to beware of an inflated opinion. An inflated opinion of oneself. Now, Peter listened to the warning of Jesus Christ with all the disciples and how they would kind of fall away, they'd, they'd kind of drift off into the, into the darkness, and they would leave the Lord. But Peter did not think this word applied to him. He may have looked to the other disciples, kind of thought, boy, those guys are weak. Maybe even said, you know, I'm going to lay down my life for the Lord. He had already said that once. The other disciples might fall away, he thought, but Peter, he wouldn't do such a thing. He was too tough, too determined, too loyal to falter. But Peter's basic problem was that he had an inflated opinion of himself. He really did not know himself. He did not understand the deceitfulness of his own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, says the prophet Jeremiah. And while the redemptive work of Christ delivers us from the curse of the fall, we still labor under the effects of the the fall. And as long as there is sin in our lives, or we have this body of sin, as Paul tells us, we're giving evidence that the fall of man is constantly affecting humanity. The epistles warn us about ourselves in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Paul warned Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you in, in, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, Hebrews 3.12. Ye are all the children of light and the children of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6. Peter himself later will warn, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And the one who thinks he cannot fall into sin is the most precarious in a most precarious position of all because we don't recognize our heart. We don't really know ourselves, and Peter didn't really know himself. 
And the Lord questioned him with these biting words, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Is it true of you, Peter? Do you really know yourself that well? Listen, it's only by the grace of God that stands between us and a fall from which we could never recover. Peter was so caught up with a sense of self-confidence and pride that he began to trust in himself for what was needed to stand against the trials of life. And as we have received Christ Jesus our Lord by faith, we need to walk in him by faith, by grace through faith. And we must realize that Peter fell headlong into sin, even though he had just passed through the one of the highest spiritual experiences. Remember, he had just partaken of the Lord's Supper with all the glory that attended that. Uh, he had listened to the grandest teaching of Jesus Christ in the upper room discourse. He probably even heard and we think that uh, Jesus prayed for his disciples in, in John chapter 17 within uh, their hearing. He had just heard the great high priestly prayer. Could you be better prepared for facing an army of demons than having to have walked in such a marvelous time? Such a spiritual time that Peter had just gone through. And yet confidence placed in oneself or one's experience proves to be folly, foolishness. As Paul expressed it again so clearly, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Romans 12.3 And then, along with the warning, the first two warnings of being careful not to think lightly of God's word or have an inflated opinion of oneself, we need to beware of untested ambitions and motives. Peter had marvelous ambitions. The only problem, they were wrapped around his own strength and his own glory. He said, I will lay down my life for thy sake. That's a noble ambition. And I think we'd agree that was a tremendous thing to say. And we would admire, admire a man who's willing to sacrifice himself in the face of danger. And yet at that moment, that's what Peter planned to do. But when he was confronted by just a mere slave girl, his self-generated ambition was crushed like a peanut under the foot of an elephant. I think we have to consider that Christ followed or Peter followed Christ into the courtyard of Caiaphas for noble reasons, at least at first. And he had made his stand earlier. He had assured the Lord he would lay down his life. Now he kind of stealthily makes his way into the center of the enemy camp, and I wonder what was running through his mind. Do you suppose he gave thought to rushing the high priest guards overpowering them, trying to set Christ free? I don't know. With action-oriented life of Peter, I don't think we can be satisfied that he was just going to be a friendly spectator. His ambitions drove him to the jaws of danger, but mere ambition cannot sustain us in the face of difficulty and temptation and trial. We need the strength of God 
We need God's grace, which He gladly gives to us who trust Him and cast off the arm of the flesh. The chief weakness that slays us in times of difficulty and temptation is an over-reliance on our own strength and our own abilities. Listen, we must constantly see our own weakness and the great sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like John the Baptist would say, he must increase, but I must decrease. So there's the warning. Secondly, there's a danger. There's a danger. And we move from the scene of Christ's warning to Peter that he would indeed deny him three times before the rooster crowed that morning to an actual denial. He had already exhorted them to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, says in Matthew 26. But Peter slept, trusted his own ability to handle the difficulties ahead. And are we not rebuked by this same exhortation when we think how little we pray sometimes? Oh, we give time to physical preparations, but do we retire in solitude to cast ourselves before the Lord to know His strength and His might for life's demands? Peter's pride ran full stride before him. And as we read our text, we see Peter walking right into danger that would lead to his fall. And we must learn from this scene. The Bible's plain description of God's choice servants offers us some encouragement to learn from them. You know, we could say, oh my, Peter, you're just, you're just foolish. And we could shake our heads and we could say, well, you, you really didn't think that one through, did you, Peter? But we're missing the point. Instead, we need to cry out for the hand of the Lord to strengthen us. For we'll fall to the same temptation. The same arrogant spirit that Peter had. So notice here a danger of wanting to be unnoticed as a Christian. The danger to be unnoticed as a Christian, there's a first danger. It's kind of a strange one, but it's that of wanting to be unnoticed as a Christian. Peter had delighted in being one of Christ's disciples. Now he did not want anyone to know that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the scene kind of shows Peter outside the door leading to the courtyard of the high priest. And another disciple, presumably here, John, had already gained access and then returned to see that to it that Peter could enter as well. The once inside, the slave girl who attended the door, asked him a piercing question. Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the word also here obviously gives reference to the other disciple, John possibly, who was already present and known by the high priest family. Interestingly enough, the Greek used in this case expects a no as an answer. But the slave girl thought it rather doubtful that another one of his disciples would make his way into this courtyard. And so Peter did not want to be known as a Christian at this time. He said, I am not. Slave girl did not ask him if he believed in Christ. Instead, it was a point of identification as a disciple or a Christian of all the characteristics which belong to that title. 
To be this man's disciple would imply that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. It would, uh, he would believe that, uh, Jesus is the Son of God and promised Messiah who would redeem the people of God by the sacrifice of his own life. He would give a lifelong commitment to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, to tell others, to participate in the fellowship of other believers. He would be the owner of the promise of a home in heaven at the end of his life. But with all of this, Peter chose to be unnoticed. The same danger lurks about in the shadows of our own lives as well. How often have we been in a circle of maybe new friends, maybe at school or on an athletic team or on a business trip or some, in, a, in a, some kind of a gathering when a matter related to Jesus Christ or Christianity arises and I wonder how many times we cower at such times hoping that nobody will recognize that we're a Christian. I wonder, do we hold our tongue from confession of the sacred name of our Redeemer and Lord? Do you fail to testify of His grace and His mercy shown to you? And we must see the selfish tendencies that emerge in those unsuspecting moments when we must take a stand as a Christian. And that's when the reality of our faith shows up. And on Peter's part, he discovered that he was a weak man in need of much grace to stand for Jesus Christ in all settings. And so there's a danger of wanting to go unnoticed. Secondly, there's a danger of unguarded associations. It's interesting to see how John repeats the phrase concerning Peter that he stood with them and warmed himself. Now, in you know, just as you look at that to begin with, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Kind of seems innocent enough. You know, the night air was probably a little chilly and Peter was shivering. Maybe even more so due to the nervousness and his tenseness of the moment. But the other disciple had gone forward to stand nearer Christ as he was being tried. But Peter chose to kind of blend into the background of soldiers and servants who had no love for Christ. And his time with them proved to be his downfall. His unguarded associations left him vulnerable to the deceitfulness of his own heart. Peter was not trying to distinguish himself as a Christian among these unbelievers, but he was trying to blend in with them, act like them, adopt their ways of thinking. And how subtle a danger we face when we try to blend in to the woodwork, so to speak. Blend in the woodwork of the world about us. And when we are in a worldly setting and we desire to change colors like a chameleon so we don't stand out or we don't appear different, we're guilty of the same unguarded heart that Peter exemplified in the denial. Now, our purpose for being among the unbelievers of this world, and you know we do have a purpose for being in the world, is to give evidence of the power of the gospel at work in our own lives. Paul said this very clearly in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. 
danger is that we try to hide our Christianity and we don't shine. But we do live in a crooked and perverse generation. I wonder, how are you affected by your relationships outside the Christian community, outside this, these four walls here? How are you affected by your relationships? Can it be said of you tonight when he's with Christians, he acts like a Christian, but when he's with non-Christians, well, he acts like them as well. And I would offer a special challenge to our young people as you even prepare to go back to school here in a few weeks. It's quite easy for you to stand for Christ when you're here at church or in the church fellowship, but the real test of your faith comes when you're not in friendly territory, when you're right in the midst of a crowd of unbelievers. We need to learn the lesson from Peter. See how his chameleon attitude in the midst of the unbelievers crushed him with sorrow and shame. Recognize that he learned from his failure so that shortly we find him in the midst of the city of Jerusalem crowded with unbelievers testifying boldly for Jesus And later, before this Jewish Sanhedrin, he does the same thing. The world does not need to see a color-changing chameleon who calls themselves a Christian when they are in church, but attempt to go incognito into the world. Needs to see Christians boldly appearing as lights. And there's another danger, a danger of unchecked sin. What should Peter have done when he denied Jesus Christ the first time? He walked into the courtyard and the slave girl said to him, Art not thou also one of the man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And so at the first blow of sin, Peter should have stopped right there and recognized it was sin to deny Christ. He should have addressed the problem of sin in his life, confessed it, turned from it in repentance, and sought to stand firmly for Christ. But his first sin went unchecked. He may have had a slight consciousness of it, but he threw it off for the expediency of the moment. He let it go. And then when we read in verse 25, we come to the next question, Art not thou also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. Still unchecked, his sin continues. One of the relatives of the, of the man Peter had struck with the sword said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? <coughs> Peter then denied it again. And immediately the cock crew. You know, sin in whatever form it confronts us, kind of slithers its way into our lives. It wraps itself around us until we're crushed because sin is relentless. It pursues us until we stand against it in, an, in the armor of the Lord and in the strength of his might. It flings its fiery darts at us, guided by demonic fierceness, aided by the effects of the fall, so that apart from the gracious intervention of the Lord in giving us the shield of faith, we will surely be pierced through and brought to a wretched end. You know, we bring so much trouble and sorrow on ourselves when we have unchecked sin. When we allow our spiritual sensitivities to be numbed by the things of this world so that the truths of the word are no longer at the forefront of our thoughts 
and we fall prey to unchecked sin. When we consider that we're mature enough that we can turn away from any sin, we show that we don't really know the deceitfulness of our hearts and the weakness of our flesh. No person is so mature as not to be in danger of giving way to sin. Just look at mature Moses. <coughs> Excuse me. Moses gave way to his impulsive anger. Look at mature David. He gave way to unguarded lusts. Look at mature Hezekiah, who gave way to pride. All of them were men of God, demonstrating maturity, but in an unguarded moment, they were smitten by sin. And so how important it is that we see ourselves as we really are. We see our weakness. You know, if we rest in our strength, we will surely be blindsided by sin. If we neglect to set our affections upon the Lord, we're opening the door to sin. If we dare to get confident, overconfident in our spiritual lives because of the things we're learning, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Even the Apostle Paul, a man who walked with much spiritual maturity that he could tell others to imitate him in his Christian life, diligently guarded himself from falling prey to sin. He knew that though he had had incomparable experiences in Christian faith, he still was liable to weakness. And he wrote to the church at Corinth, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it in subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so we have a warning here, we have a danger, but then thirdly, we have a hope. We have a hope. When Peter failed the Lord so miserably, he probably thought, well, that's it, I really blew it. It's over. He had gone too far in his pride. The cock crew and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Maybe you can find yourself identifying with Peter from time to time when some sin has just thrown you to the ground and, and uh, stood over you like, like a bully. You have felt that you might never get up and seek the Lord or go, to the Christ, go on in your Christian faith. But thankfully, we read in the Gospels, we find that Peter and all of us, there is hope. And his hope, demonstrates itself, first of all, in mercy. God is merciful. Now, this means that he does not give us what we deserve, but shows grace to us in giving to us what we do not deserve, and that is forgiveness. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't forgive his love. We don't forgive, uh, deserve restored fellowship or spiritual renewal. And the Lord pursued Peter to revive him from his spiritual failure. The uh, Mark records that when the angel appeared to the in at the empty tomb uh, to the women who were visiting at the first uh, uh, resurrection morning, he said, "But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you." into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. It's very significant, and it's, and, and it's a great little phrase there, and Peter. 
He didn't name all the apostles, did he? He just said, go to his disciples and Peter. Now that shows the greatness of the Lord's mercy to his children. Would any of us persevere without his constant mercy? The psalmist was right when he wrote, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his, is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Thank God for his mercy. But not only his mercy, his forgiveness. His forgiveness. With the Lord, there is forgiveness. We should never, we're to never presume upon his forgiveness so that we have the attitude, oh, I can just go on and sin and, and then I can get forgiveness later. That's not the heart of one who knows the experience of grace and eternal forgiveness. Paul goes to great length to explain the wretchedness of his attitude in Romans, of this attitude in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Peter knew the forgiveness of the Lord, and that's apparent when we see him being accepted by the Lord after the resurrection. And then later, Peter once again leads the disciples at Pentecost. Uh, How precious is that forgiveness that has been given to us? And I think if we learn anything from Peter's denial of Christ, I hope that it will be that there's a holy hatred of sin. Sin is just the opposite of holiness. But listen, we must be wise to the deceitfulness of sin. We must turn from it, flee from it, hide ourselves from it. We must go the other way when we see ourselves walking into it. Later on, John expresses it like this in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this hope not only has mercy and forgiveness, but it has usefulness. Our Lord does not just cleanse us simply so that we might feel good. Okay? He cleanses us so that we can be useful. And we see this very clearly with Peter. Just imagine the enormity of his denying Christ. Yet no one was more greatly used of the Lord in the early years of the church than Peter. First 12 chapters of the book of Acts tell us more about the usefulness of Peter in the kingdom of God than anyone else. So tonight you may have failed the Lord in your Christian walk. And I'm speaking to those who are truly believers. For the normal course of an unbeliever is to go the way of sin. But for a believer, I want us to think about the mercy and the grace that was shown to Peter. He was a forgiven man. He was renewed to be used by the Lord. We dare not think that he forgot the lesson, the bitter lesson of denial. It was in that crushing of Peter's pride that we see the Lord raising 
him up to live in God dependence. And I trust that we will learn to hate sin like Peter learned. And may we learn that we are vulnerable to sin until the day we stand glorified in the presence of God. There is mercy with the Lord. Let us look to him to grant mercy, usefulness, and strength to stand against sin. A tremendous lesson, I think, as we think about and meditate upon Peter's denial. We might have a tendency to be hard on him. But listen, but by the grace of God, we'd be the same way. We'd do the same thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for...